Welcome to Fried, the Burnout Podcast, Season 5. The goal of each Fried episode, whether you're an entrepreneur, parent, employee, or otherwise defined, is to create moments of spontaneous healing by ensuring that you feel seen, heard, connected to others, and validated. By doing this, Fried fulfills its mission to kill the shame, blame, and judgment associated with burning out, and Fried adds to its original goal of creating a movement to hashtag end burnout culture. Should you need a coach, Fried coaches are standing by to help guide you through recovery. Book a call anytime by visiting the links in the show notes. Should you need a speaker, you can hire me, Kate, and you can rest assured that your people will have fun and learn about burnout at the same time. In the meantime, I'm ready to give you this week's episode, which will help you heal just a little bit more, starting now. Hello, Fried fans. Boy, do I have a story for you today. I want you to really listen in to this. And I know I ask you to do that every week, but I ask you to do that every week because in every single episode that we create together, you, me, the guests, the producers, everybody that's involved in this story, In every single episode, there is an opportunity for you to heal something. There is an opportunity for you to have an aha moment where you realize that somebody else has done this, somebody else has been there, and they've gone through something really similar to you, and you can get through it too. And there are going to be things you hear today that allow you to feel that, and I know that for sure. So today, we get to talk to Helena Lucia who is the founder and CEO of Sisu? Sisu. Sisu Journey. And she helps conscious creators banish burnout, heal their money history, and unlock their money blocks so they can live their full financial potential and focus on solutions for the world. After going from financial advisor to senior software engineer to trauma-informed money coach, speaker, and podcast host, Helena uses her personal journey to create experiences that support deep healing through nervous system regulation, somatic embodiment, energetics, and subconscious reprogramming. Now, as the founder of Sisu Journey, she teaches that money is so much more than math and healing the money wound is so much more than mindset work. And you all know how I feel about that. Agreed 100%. Helena is the host of the Sisu Journey podcast, Science and Stories of Resilience, which was created in 2021 to help heal a wounded collective by telling diverse stories. Helena, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, I'm so honored to be here, Kate. I feel like I have met a soul sister. (laughs) Isn't that the best? Yes, and I will tell you, you've been in my head. When I'm taking a walk, I'm like, Kate says I need to pee whenever I need to pee. And so... (laughs) (laughs) And that is the truth. There may be some neighbors that aren't super impressed with you right now, but you know what? (laughs) I am okay with that. I am okay with that. That is so funny. It's something that has come up so many times and we we laugh about it all the time, but it is just that constant reminder that if you are able to meet your most basic needs, Mm -hmm. meeting your deeper needs becomes much, much easier. If you have a basic awareness, it makes everything so much easier. So it's silly but it definitely matters. Absolutely. So. And, and it's funny for me too, because I'm the one who's always like, listen to your body, get inside your body, get, but I needed you to tell me those words for them to really stick in my head. So it's just the power of this aggregate work we're doing. And I love that because that's one of the reasons that I have guests on the show. 
Sometimes you need something said in a slightly different way. You need a, a different wording. That one sentence that just hits you right in the gut that can only come from the one person who's going to say it in that one way and hit you in that Absolutely. one way. Absolutely. So on that note, I'm going to clear the floor and give you space to tell your story, your burnout story. Yeah. So I think it kind of starts with that comment too, about getting our basic needs met because the way that I grew up, I was born and raised in an extreme fundamentalist religious cult. I was not able to slow that sentence down. Just slow that sentence down a little bit. Slow that sentence down. Listen to this, everyone. Extreme fundamentalist religious cult. So I was the way that I was raised. I was the sixth of 10 children. I grew up in Minnesota. We were allowed to only wear dresses. I don't know what you know about Minnesota, but most of you know it's freaking cold and dresses aren't the garment of choice optimally. But um, yeah, that was my life. Basically Amish with electricity is kind of the image that I like to share with folks to get a good, you know, viewpoint for what that was like. And I wasn't allowed to take care of my basic needs. And in fact, I don't think we allow children to do that in general. We send them to school. They're not allowed to, you know, pee when they need to pee, eat when they need to eat, learn how they need to learn, move when they need to move, right? So we're teaching them to override their body all of their lives and then just figure out what they want to do based on what other people have told them. And I think that was my path to burnout, just like it's so many other people's path to burnout. Most people don't have as extreme of story as I did. And they don't necessarily have, you know, some of the traumas that I had to overcome as a result of my story, but they definitely have that shared experience of being told, oh, you're fine. Go give your uncle a hug. You know, oh, don't worry about that. That's everything's fine. And, and, and learning to just continuously override their body. That's why when I talk about burnout, I say, this is, this is the, these are the things that they forgot to teach us, which is like, how do we even get inside of our own body and figure out why we're here and what we want to do? while we're here or what we should be doing, what we're designed to do. So, um, keep going. Yeah, I'm just, I'm here, I'm here for the ride. (laughs) So when I was 19, I got married, um, as you do in that religion and you don't have any power over your own fertility. So I would say I was a burned out stay at home mom for sure, because I always felt like I was living someone else's life. I never felt like I, kind of excelled at the things that you're supposed to excel at being, you know, in this job. And also I I always knew that I had like brains to do something else. You know, I was kind of on this treadmill that I didn't ask to be on, hadn't gotten on and and furthermore was squirting out babies every year. And so so I, I had my four children when I, by the time I was 25 and then I left that religion and then I let, I subsequently left my marriage. It was, you'll be surprised to know, um, not a egalitarian, healthy marriage situation. There was a lot of violence, a lot of, a, a lot of, um, especially emotional anger, rage and financial control and all the things that kind of are the big package of, of those types of authoritarian systems, right? So I left my marriage in 2007. I did a shit ton of counseling. Am I allowed to swear on this show? Oh yeah, please. Okay. (laughs) I I mean, I've done so much therapy and 
over the years, then I was looking for work, um, of course, at coming out of the marriage. And I started working as a financial advisor because I really had this idea that I was going to like help people. And I was going to do a job that not everyone could do that I had to take some type of certification and training for. So I would at least have some credibility and didn't feel like I'd been living under the bridge for the last, you know, 10 years or whatever. So I started working as a financial advisor when the economy collapsed in 2007, 2008. I was a single mom raising four kids in an 800 square foot apartment and working every day as a financial advisor. And that was my first, I would say, real occupational burnout experience. Every day I would get to work, my stomach would be in knots. I, you know, I could barely stand it. Like just the idea of even going in, I recognized that I was doing a lot more sales than I had wanted. And I, I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. There was just like a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, messiness there. And so that was when I went back to school, but when I'm thinking about burnout, I'm really thinking that I was probably basically burned out my entire life in one way or another up until that point. And so then I went to school in this state of like heightened aware, you know, hypervigilance and and dysregulated nervous system and, and worked through school that way, like just sheer adrenaline and cortisol and, and, you know, willpower. Like I'm going to, this is going to be the thing that I finally finish. And I did finish it. I got a computer science degree. I graduated cum laude. I got the chancellor's award for student achievement, which was an award that only one student in the entire um, graduating class gets. And so I was, you know, doing really well. I got internships um, at Intel and I was ready to go out of college and I was ready to do this career thing and I was ready to do it well. And I was going to be a woman in, t- woman in tech and I was going to like kick ass and take names. And that was the plan. And then once I got into the corporate world, it just every every kind of path that I went on, it was like, oh, this isn't aligned. And so I was like, oh, maybe I need a smaller company. Maybe I need a startup. Maybe I need something, you know, so I kind of bounced around and had a series of burnout stories. The last one happened in 2021, 2022. As I was getting mentally healthier everywhere else, as I was learning all about nervous system reprogramming, as I was learning about self-compassion, which totally changed my life. I know you had Kristen Neff on last week. So yeah, I mean, I, I was just doing really, really well. I had my morning ritual down. I was doing work every day. And yet I was recognizing the same pattern of burnout happening to me again, but from almost a spectator perspective, because I knew all the things with my head, but in my body, I was having this whole different experience. So I have a question. And if you don't want to answer it, you do not have to. Absolutely. How did you move from being in a cult to understanding enough about how the world worked to have four children in an 800 square foot apartment? I guess my question is how much access did you have to the outside world to know like what to do, like to even know what to do, to know how to function? That's a really good point. I mean, 
I think, well, we did have enough kind of basic, my dad had gone to college. So there was like some kind of precedent for doing some other things outside of the religion. And we also had a focus on higher ed. So it's not exactly in my family, we had a focus on higher ed. So it's not, it, it was kind of like each family takes in apart the pieces that they need. But mm-hmm. um, as far as like having a home and stuff like that, they're they're very skilled at that thing. I mean, a lot of the people in the organization are, you know, builders and, and plumbers and all that stuff. So we actually bought our first house when we were 19 years old. So there were certain things about life that I definitely had the pieces to. And then I also had like background because I did go to public school. And so I did have some background, some things to kind of put the, connect the dots together. And I feel like being in this place where you have to figure everything out creates a type of resilience where you're like, I don't know, that person did it. I'm going to figure out how they did it. And I'm going to figure out that path for me. And I feel like that was something that was kind of an internal that I had figured out at a young age. Like these people do not know what the fuck they're doing. I'm going to have to figure out my whole life just for me. So I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to use whatever resource I can find Mm -hmm. to get there. Because public school is a, a huge difference Mm-hmm. from a lot of huge cult stories, a Absolutely. lot of fundamentalist religious stories in general. Mm-hmm. Um, having access to public school is a, is a massive difference in that, in that regard. And, it's a gratitude that I have oof. all of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Have just having access to other I- ideas and other Mm-hmm. And just anything. I mean, they don't exactly yeah. teach you how to balance a checkbook, but you do have access to other people. But they taught us how to write a check. Right, right. In home ec. Yeah. <laughs> and and to be honest, like that was necessary. Sure. Absolutely. That was necessary. So that's an interesting sort of blend of being in this fundamentalist space and mm-hmm. having access to the outside world, which mm-hmm. is not always the way things look. Right. Absolutely. And I guess it probably depends family to family as well, because everybody's a little different. Right. And so this, this sort of underlying, when you have to conform so much, of course you don't learn to listen to yourself. Right. That word that you, that you used a couple of times really hit me in the gut and I haven't used that word to describe it, but I will from now on, because this is really important. This learned overriding Mm -hmm. of your system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Holy shit. I know that's, that's the, that's the, that's the puzzle piece. I think that is for kids. If we can teach them, first of all, I think we should teach them polyvagal theory and like kindergarten or first grade, but then also like, hey, if you don't want to touch that person, you don't have to. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's like a basic consent, obviously. But then there's also like, like you said, go to the bathroom when you need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. I had one of my girlfriends. I loved it so much when um, I met her 
girls for the first time. I lived in Europe for a while, so I wasn't always around when my friends were having babies. You know, mm-hmm. I was gone actually for almost all my friends having having babies because I was gone for 12 years from, wow. you know, from 24 to I guess, 25 to 37, 38. So I was in that, that's the range where most of my friends were having babies. I wasn't around. And when I met some of them, it might've been the second or third time I met them over the years, but they were babies before then. And they didn't really know me. And there was one of those like charts, like, do you want to high five? Do you want to, do you want a fist bump? Do you want to like elbow? Do you want to wave? Do you want to? And I was so happy to have that as an example, not just in a classroom, but in someone's home. Right. Like there was no pressure to interact with me because honestly, as an adult, I always feel awkward in those situations. So they're like, give Auntie Katie a hug. I'm like, I don't know this kid. I know. Like, I don't know your child. Like I, this is awkward. Like why, why would they hug me? That's weird. But having that, um, that sense that all of your physical instructions Mm -hmm. that you get from your body. Right. You just learn to just mm-hmm. shut it down. Right. And that's another reason why I kind of like jumped over to talking about money, because I think scarcity also starts in all of those like limitations that we put on kids, not mm-hmm. just money, but like uh, agency. Are you able to move about the world? Are you able to show up in the world who you are? Are do you have your psychological needs met? Are they, are those being withheld from you? Are you internalizing your mom's food issues? Right. So of course all, you are. Of course. Well, obviously, but but yeah, the, <laughs> but that's you know that's it's a it's a form of scarcity people don't think about. And when I start talking about scarcity, they're like, yeah, but we always had our financial needs met. And it's like, no, but that goes way beyond that topic. Yeah. My friend and I were one of my best friend in Poland and I were having a discussion one day about how there seems to be a correlation between like food issues and mothers and money issues and fathers. Interesting. (laughs) Like I'm sure there, of course there are, you know, it's not a rule and it's only a hypothesis, but when we started to dig into it, like there was a lot of there's a lot of correlations mm-hmm. between how your mother feeds you and how your father controlled mm-hmm. money, because even outside of a fundamentalist cult, mm-hmm. the majority of people are still living according to the man controls the money, yeah. the woman controls the house sort of ideal, which mm-hmm. is, it's. I know it's not 100% of the case. I am an absolute feminist. I don't believe that that's the way things should be. I know most of my clients in particular are the breadwinners of their families. So I know that I know you guys out there, don't don't get mad at me for saying this. <laughs> all I'm saying is it's still happening all sure. over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're all stuck in these systems of like, and all these ideas of, you know, women aren't good at money and like, you know, just all the bullshit. It's the unconscious cycles that we're going yeah. to continue to perpetuate until we interrupt them somehow. Yeah. Yeah. This is um, in my book. I write about the need to examine your life in small bits to decide which things you can upgrade or replace or shift because they're, Mm -hmm. they don't match your needs or your, and the example Mm -hmm. that I give is always a silly one, but it just to get people thinking, 
my parents owned a laundromat when I was growing up, which meant my mother folded towels in a very particular way Mm -hmm. because they needed to fit in the bottom of a bag in order to create a foundation so that when she folded other people's clothes Mm -hmm. for the wash, dry, fold, and then tied it, it would create a a bag that would stand up on its own. So the towels were folded in a way that would allow that to happen, which meant that our towels at home were folded the same way because that was then her habit, which meant that I folded towels that way because that was how I learned to fold towels. And then I was living in Europe and the towels didn't fit in the cabinet the way that I folded them. And I got mad at the cabinet. Emergency. (laughs) I was so annoyed for like the first two years because I was like, this cabinet is obviously built the wrong way. Polish cabinets are not built right for towels, but all you had to do was fold it differently. Right. And it took me years to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And so I Mm -hmm. asked people like, to start looking at the things that you do because that's how your mm-hmm. mom did them and Absolutely. start to break it down. Absolutely. I've had this experience. I've recently started playing with the idea that creativity, you know, needs pattern interrupts. And so I've been taking like a different walk every day mm-hmm. uh, and walking around and I've been seeing so many cool things and just experiencing so many new experiences just yeah. from changing my pattern of, of walking. Talk about pattern interrupts a little bit more. I like this idea. Well, um, so the idea, I mean, when you think about subconscious reprogramming, which I know you do a lot of, is like, hey, is there, if you can get a little distance from the, the things that you do every day, and I use this analogy of, or I use the acronym of space, so starting out with creating more space in between things. So you can notice, you can start paying it. And then P is pay attention. And so paying attention to how your body is reacting and responding. And then you can start interrupting the pattern of how you unconsciously react in a situation or how you desire to respond. And then once you do that, then you start creating the neural pathways that you, that your brain can say your unconscious mind can say oh there's another way so you start creating that um, framework for your brain to just start considering other opportunities and then even with pattern interrupts another part of it that I like to talk about is like if your family has a pattern that's being um, perpetuated through the years and you as the ancestor in charge of changing the pattern actually take the learnings from that and release the emotional charge, you can actually interrupt a family history pattern. But because the real the real reason history repeats itself is because it's trying to teach us a lesson. And so if you could take the lessons, and that's not an easy thing to do. I mean obviously it's a process and it's a it's a it's a journey all of it in itself. But if you can take the learnings from it, then you don't have to keep recreating these even larger patterns. I love this idea of a pattern interrupt is one of the reasons I think having outside help for whatever the thing, if you're focused on money right now, cool. If you're focused on your burnout right now, cool. If you're focused on whatever it happens to be, but having a therapist, a coach, a support system Mm -hmm. to help give you perspective and help you see things in a different way, because it's really, it's really impossible to interrupt a pattern that you can't see. Absolutely. The first, the very first step is to be able to become conscious of that pattern. Yeah. Noticing is always the the beginning of 
the unraveling. Mm -hmm. You have to know, you have to see it. You have to notice it. You can't do anything without it. And I can't count the number of times that I've spoken to someone. I hear these patterns really easily, but Mm -hmm. that's because I've been doing this and talking to people for Mm -hmm. 20 years about their patterns. Mm -hmm. I've done this for so long that it's completely, I don't think it's a natural skill of mine. I think it's a honed, learned skill. Absolutely you say things and I'm like, yeah, but look over here. And people are like, whoa, I guess I've always known that, but I never knew that. I'm like, yeah, that's the power. Yeah. And having someone for the listeners to consider the easiest way to start interrupting your patterns is actually with that first hour of every day. Because if you take the first hour of every day where your brainwaves are in a slower pattern, they haven't quite gotten to beta brainwaves where you're you know, thinking on your feet and all of that, your subconscious is accessible for that first hour. And all of the messages that you get that you receive into that are going to go into those subconscious patterns that you've created in your life. So if you get an email from your boss, it's immediately going to go into some fear space where you, or it might, you know, if you have a fear that you're going to get fired or you did something wrong or whatever, it's going to immediately go into there. If you check your Facebook or your Instagram or whatever, and you kind of have these, well, comparisonitis or whatever we have, it's going to go into those patterns. But if you can interrupt that pattern of jumping on your phone and getting information into your subconscious that you can't control and start putting things in that are positive visualizations, places you want to kind of move into your life, who you want to be next before that, then you'll have a huge leg up all that day on recognizing the patterns that don't serve you, recognizing the patterns that go into those areas. And you'll have a little bit more distance to interrupt that pattern and to just do something differently in that moment. This sounds like a Dr. Joe Dispenza moment. (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, Dr. Joe Dispenza does talk uh, quite a bit about this. Um, I I like his uh, stuff and I also don't love his energy. It's Mm. not the best for my inner child. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I I like, I like some, I like the teachings, but, um, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, but this idea of taking the morning to intentionally look at your life and create the things you want to create mm-hmm. is very yes. central to his his yes. teachings overall. This this just this idea of getting up in the morning and doing something that's for you, the visualization, the yeah. focus, the whatever yeah. it happens to be, yeah. whatever the practice is for you. Mm-hmm. And even if the- there's no practice. Even if you just leave that space as like, not, you're not introducing anything that's outside of your control into that space. You will still be a leg up on your day. So I don't want to make it sound like you have like an hour of homework as soon as you get up in the morning (laughs) or whatever. Well, that's how some of the, some of people have felt uh, when I share this, it's like, oh, now I have an assignment. What do I do during that hour? And it's like, I don't know, make coffee, Um, (laughs) stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Just put put your phone down. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I've had to put mine on airplane mode because I use it as an alarm or, yeah. you know, you, I I've had to, you know, put some support things in place. I don't want to make it sound like this is just an easy thing because it's an unconscious pattern. As soon as we wake up, we reach for it. And a lot yeah. of us, you know, check the stock, check the news, like oh, that's, you know, 
<laughs> that's a First lot for your the subconscious to be just like, oh, hey, what's happening on Wall Street? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the things when I was reading through your story that really hit me and that I think is important to discuss is this idea that you were not in a financial position going through burnout after burnout after burnout, and then finally deciding it was time to actually heal and mm-hmm. learning all these techniques and, and trying things on and seeing what fit and seeing what didn't and sort of going through this process, you were not in a financial position to take any time off. Right. To do anything different than continue the job that you were already mm-hmm. in. This right. was not the time to look for a job. This was not the time to quit a job. Right. Those weren't financially feasible. Right. Right. And I might mention that I didn't have the option to go to Bali and find myself for three months. Yeah. Right. Right. So. Right. Exactly. Which if you do, please use it. Absolutely. Go do it. I really have a very, very deep belief in the fact that everyone who chooses to heal from burnout is helping all of us. Because when you stop participating in these bullshit patterns and in this bullshit system, When you stop participating in it, you create room for other people to do the same. I do not believe that healing from burnout is only about you. It's about Mm -hmm. all of us. We end burnout culture by getting one person out of burnout at a time. And then we keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it until none of us are participating in this shit anymore. Right. So if you can take two years off from work and you can go to Bali and you can have healing rituals done and you can do go please go do it absolutely and don't feel guilty about it because we need you to go through this Mm -hmm. to help us all but we also know that there are people who have to fucking pay their bills next month exactly and have kids and responsibilities and can't you know don't have that option and i did have a lot of people who had gone through their own burnout story and they, their story was that they were able to take some time off. They were able to get a step back and were able, and I just felt very frustrated because I was not able to do that. But what I was able to do was to start applying some of these tools, applying some of these processes. And that's how I kind of came up with the burnout space or the acronym space um, for putting um, space in between work meetings in between um, different work engagements, really creating space into my schedule so that I could start doing the bits and pieces of self-care, um, which is, a, oh, I don't know if self-care a is- A whole nother topic in, in yeah. and of itself. Right. But as a general rule, my the, the tilt on this particular show is things that you are doing to break patterns is the most important self-care you, sh- you can do. This is not, yes. if you need to go get your nails done, cool. Right. But what we're talking about is interrupting the patterns. Mm-hmm. What we're talking mm-hmm. about is getting yourself into a position where you can quit that job. What we're talking Absolutely. about is creating safety for yourself. Exactly. That is the self-care we're discussing mm-hmm. here. Yeah. So I was able to, I mean, one thing that I did in 2020 was just like, got a ton of tools. It was kind of like in a financial situation, finally, where I was able to start throwing spaghetti at the wall and try things and see what worked. So I did psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. I did, I learned about self-compassion. I learned about nervous system regulation. I learned about subconscious reprogramming. I learned about Dr. Joe Dispenza. I learned about all the other people who are in those spaces and started kind of exploring, oh, this is cool. 
oh, this isn't aligned for me and just kind of moving into things. I tried hypnotherapy, tried a sound healing, a, diff, a ton of different modalities and really kind of started to feel like, oh, all of these things can, are kind of moving toward the same goal. I took some EMT. FT training at the time. I took some NLP training. I took a number of coach. I enrolled in a number of coaching programs and a number of trauma trainings. And I was like, wow, it's all kind of focusing, moving me in the same direction. And now I feel like I'm moving in a really like with a lot of momentum. Whereas when I was in therapy and only trying the one thing, I felt like I was kind of stuck. And Mm -hmm. so in 2020, I really started making progress and making momentum. And so that was, those were the tools then that through 2020 and 2021, I started applying into my daily practice and then also just paying attention, you know, recognizing how at the end of the day, I was just so depleted or after I'd had a conversation with one particular person and really trying to work on what are the emotions that are coming up and how can I continue to move these through my body? How can I continue to do what I need to do to show up here? Um, you know, kind of being a spectator in my life, you know, recognizing, like you said, what are the patterns that need to be interrupted? And when is this just a hard deal breaker? I can't do this anymore. It's time for me to go. Yeah. This is a huge question that I think, um, people often want the answer to like in the Facebook group, people of for fried people will ask like, well, what do I do in this situation? Like, where's the breaking point? No one can decide that breaking point for you. And your breaking point is going to be set in a different place because of your childhood experiences, because of your, the regulation of your nervous system or dysregulation thereof, Mm -hmm. or, you know, there's a million things that go into what is the point where you have to step away from something where you understand that you've done as much as you can within a situation to shift it for yourself, but it just doesn't fit. It's like, I I use the analogy of a dress often. Like you put a dress on, it fits you. It's the right size. It's a good color. Something's just not right about it. Every time you wear it, it twists a little. There's just... It should be right. Yeah. There's, yeah. Like there's just something that doesn't sit right. And I think that it's really important for people to know that there's no perfect set of techniques to get you out of burnout. Absolutely. Because that dress is going to fit somebody and be Mm -hmm. perfect. And they're not going to be bothered by that tag. Mm -hmm. And everybody needs something a little, just a little different. A lot of the things, like you said, they're all going in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're all doing the same stuff, but yeah. mm-hmm. everybody needs something a little different. So we've talked about this a little bit, but I only got the first two letters. So the acronym space, do you know right. it by heart? Do you yes. have it in your head? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we yeah. have space. So finding the in-between, we have pay attention, like listening to your body, listening to your signals. What's A? A is access your assistance. So that's what we're on. All these okay. tools, try all the tools, write down what works, write down what works for you when you're in a certain state. So if you're in overdrive and you're, you know, really stressed and, and anxious, you can use, you know, write down what tools work to support you and make your body feel supported in those space and access those. Your assistance also could be people, safe yeah. people. Yeah. A lot of us who are in burnout have created a community of really unsafe 
people to surround ourselves with and perpetuate the burnout culture. So finding the people who are safe to start sharing, hey, this is where I am. Um, have you been here? Have you, what has worked for you? You know, learning from other people and really connecting with other people. So yeah. that's A. And then C is create your dream identity. And that's where you mm. start, instead of having the prescribed identity that you've been given, that you were told you are, who everyone has said you are, who do you want to become? What's the desire of your heart? Like, who do you want to be in five years? What do you want to be doing? If, you know, you knew that you were going to get all of your desires met, what would those desires be? Who are you envious of? Really just kind of starting to pick apart what are the things that you're telling yourself, no, I can't do, but you actually might be tell, might be in a prison of your own mind, right? Mm. And then E is embody, embody mm. that dream identity. Pick three things that day. Maybe it's just what you get dressed in, how you show up in a room, whether you're not, you respond to an email, you know, just go into that growth edge, not into overwhelm, but into the growth edge of like, how does this new person show up in the world and how am I going to embody that today? So that's it. I love that. I love that. When you wrote to me initially, you said that you started this thing called Sisu and that it's mm -hmm. a Finnish word. And I love languages and mm -hmm. I love Finland. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you said that, and you told me the definition of it and you use it as the foundation of your company. That was what struck me before I even heard your burnout story. Mm. I get pitched for the podcast a lot. Of course. I mostly say no. And I read through that and I was like, oh, she's got something. You know, there's, oh. there's, a, there's something in here. So can you tell everybody what Sisu means? Thank you. Yes. Sisu is a Finnish word that means resilience in the face of extreme adversity. And if you know anything about Finnish history, you'll know that Finland used to be a part of Russia. And in the early uh, or in the first part of before World War II, um, Finland won their independence from Russia. And my grandfather was in that war. And so this scrappy little country, super underdogs, were very, very <laughs> resilient in order to um, overcome. And as a result, they've kind of, I mean, you hear about Finland all the time. It's one of the happiest places. It's one of, you know, they have some of the best, most evolved school systems. Uh, a lot of the issues that we were talking about in our school system, you know, are, are very different there. So um, I really wanted to, it's a really core tenet of, of being a Finnish person. And I recently had my DNA done and I'm 98% Finnish. So I'm, I guess I'm as, as close to, you know, a hundred most Finnish people aren't even 98% Finnish. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is my mom, my parents always told us, oh, you're a hundred percent. I was like, nobody's a hundred percent. And so mm -hmm. really when I expected to get my DNA, when I got my DNA back, I expected to see much more of an amalgamation. So yes, the, I, I love um, the word Sisu. It's, I grew up on it. And when I was coming up with words for, to describe what I do, which is still eludes me most days, <laughs> I really kind of connected with that spirit of resilience, not from a like hold fast and take everything kind of standpoint, but from a, whatever happens to you, 
you got this. You can find a solution. You can find a healing. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, and then why money? So you went, you've gone through all this stuff. You've learned all these incredible tools that are so critical for mm-hmm. just basic human survival. I think at this point, I mean, we, I think I agree with you that we need to be teaching polyvagal theory in schools and we need to be teaching people how to regulate nervous systems. And, and there's a lot of people mm-hmm. now doing that. Like, thank, thank the Lord that that is actually happening. But then you, you, you took all of these skills and you said money. Uh-huh. I I jumped the rails. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the reason why I got to money is because I really started to notice that it was the root of so many issues. And then I started exploring around it. And I realized that when we co-regulate as infants um, and we're supposed to be kind of getting our cues for safety and freedom from our caregivers. And when we don't and we develop attachment wounds, those attachment wounds get fused very tightly to our relationship with money because money in a scarce childhood experience, whether that's financial scarcity agency, like we've talked about food, whatever, gets fused with this idea of safety and freedom really, really deep deeply. Mm. And so in order to deal with those money wounds, we really have to take them head on. And that money was one of the things, money and sex were the two things that I thought if I did all my work around other things, these things would just like fall into place. And when I talk about money being so much more than math, I think about myself because I could math. Like I was in math league when I was a kid. (laughs) I have a computer science degree. I've taken advanced calculus, advanced physics. I can do math. I got my financial advisor certifications. I can do, you know, I can learn about options. I can learn about stocks. I can learn about investments. I can learn about derivatives. I can learn all of these things and I can pass all of the tests, but I didn't know how much money was coming in and out of my bank account every month. And those were two numbers that felt so overwhelming to me. That I couldn't handle it. And then I went, started kind of entering this spiritual place where everyone was talking about mindset and manifestation and this and that. And it was so ephemeral. And everyone's trying to kind of manifest their way out of their money wounds. And I'm like, this is not, mm, mm, this is not how any of this works. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and so I recognized that there's like, there, there are pieces in all of that. But when it was when I really tapped into the creative energy of money, that I recognized, holy shit, if I if we can get people to play and be creative and all of that, they can tap into their social engagement system when they think about money. There's like so much magic there. And so recently I've started this project called the Conscious Creators Cash Lab, where we're just going to play games. We're going to do like improv games and we're going to do things and people are going to find ways that they could make money easily already in their purview, but they're just not seeing it right now because again, their scope is limited to being in fight or flight, being in, you know, a dysregulated nervous system space. Every time they think about money and it goes all the way back to that early childhood attachment and nervous system regulation in order to unravel that. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's definitely a leap, but it's not a big leap. It's not as big as you would think. Yeah. And you said that you thought initially that if you did kind of worked out all the other spaces that the money space would unwind, but it turned out to be sort of the opposite. Exactly. Exactly. 
And money and sexuality, like I mentioned, and I heard a, a great phrase recently. They said money and sex are the two things we're just not supposed to talk about. We're just supposed to show up and be good at. <laughs> and it's like the money, the sexuality, pleasure and creativity are just all wrapped up in the same like ball of incredibly wonderful, beautiful things now to me. So it's like this is the this is the space I'm playing in. I love it. And the reason why burnout didn't feel so aligned was because it's a, it's an away motivation, not a toward motivation. And that's why I reached out to you when I started listening to your podcast, because I was like, oh my gosh, someone is talking about burnout in the same way that I'm talking about it, like a juicy, exciting topic and not like, yeah. So that's a, there's a, in the corporate work that I do, for the past couple of years and for in, in my speaking career, people were regularly asking me to avoid using the word burnout because they didn't mm. want to, you know, create the negative feeling, emotion, whatever. And it's just finally this year that people are stopping and saying, no, no, no. People are actually asking us to talk directly about right. this hard thing. Right. And I'm like, Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Let's just talk about the thing. So one of the things that I think is important about Friday is that I want to talk about burnout, but I want to show people, I want to show everyone it's not the end mm -hmm. of your life. Right. It's just a part of your story. Right. It ends and shit gets better, yeah. better than it's yeah. ever been. Yeah. And but like, I can't get there if you don't look at it. And like you said before, it's something that can always happen to you because there are yeah. things that happen out of your control, Yes, yes. but you can put the pieces in place so that the next time it happens, you'll recognize it earlier. You'll have more tools. You'll have more agency. You'll have all of these things. Just like what I tell my kids about abusive relationships. It's like, you want to give people the benefit of the doubt and, and be open, but you just need to start recognizing those data points earlier and earlier so you can extricate yourself from this, you know, person. Yeah. Yes. And I, and I think that there's a, my goal when I work with people is a, to return the locus of control to an internal one. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. So to understand where you have control, what you can control, what you can influence. That's one thing. Number two is to open their perspective, because mm -hmm. like you said, your scope, your vision, your actual vision is cut off. Your peripheral vision is cut off. Mm -hmm. Mentally, your thinking mm -hmm. is also cut right. off when you're burnt out. This was on purpose in a stressed system. This is necessary. It's for survival. It's, it's a beautiful skill. Yes. But when you're using it all day, every day, you lose perspective. You need somebody else's right. eyes, ears, brain to help you reopen it. Right. See what's right there. Just see what is right there. And to get to a place where there's no longer a fear around burnout, but rather simply an awareness. Right. That's when I knew that my burnout was quote unquote healed. Mm -hmm. was when I realized that I wasn't afraid of it anymore mm -hmm. because my locus of control is so right. firmly embedded in my own body that I mm -hmm. know that should I feel something happening, I'm not going to be an asshole to myself anymore. Right. 
And I'll just say, oh, this is happening. Like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Time to shift. Mm -hmm. And you're not trapped by it. Not trapped by it. Not trapped by it. And even if the, the there are situations that are adding to it that I do not and cannot control, which mm-hmm. there will be. Absolutely. My control in those situations is to remove myself as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we, you know, and then we move on. But there's this, this sense of power. Mm-hmm. This sense of control, power and yeah. control yeah. and influence and agency. Agency. Word, agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is just critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm reminded all the time how often we don't feel like we have agency. I know um, I was just recently in a zoom call and I turned to the camera off and someone sent me a message and they were like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I just, I'm choosing not to have my camera on at this moment. You know, the, there's just an unspoken rule that if everyone else has your camera on you, you know, you need to have your camera on. Well, I wasn't. Didn't want to. Yeah. Take care of my nervous system. Yeah. Simple. Go pee when you have to pee. Absolutely. Speaking of. <laughs> <laughs> Helena, thank you so much for this. Thank you. If people need to know more about what you're doing with money, nervous system, sex, burnout, all of it, where do they look for you? Yeah, it's Sisu Journey, S-I-S-U and journey j-o-u-r-n-e-y.com and i'm on instagram i also have a very inconsistent tiktok just like you so uh, (laughs) so so i'm 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 playing with that i'm playing with the idea of showing up more on social and doing my cash lab playing out there and so if i do it'll be on instagram and tiktok so hit me up there and sisu journey is also the name of the podcast absolutely Mm -hmm. So it's the same all the way across. Everywhere you go. It's a journey. Love it. All day, all the time. (laughs) Thank you so much for allowing me to come on. Uh, I really am honored that you said you get pitches all the time. And and so I'm thankful for having this space. And I'm excited to have you on my show as well. I'll be thrilled to be there. And you know, there just is something every, every once in a while, there's something that just hits me. And it's an easy yes. You wrote to me, I read it, and I was like, sure, let's do, let's do this. It was really easy, yes. And I'm so, so glad that I listened to myself in that because I think that the things that you have to offer are really important. And I think that the way that you've chosen to speak about them is really helpful. So thank you again. And fried family. I'm guessing we're going to talk about this one a little bit in the group this week. So if you are not hanging out with us on Facebook just yet, please come hang out with us. You can just type in fried the burnout podcast and then click on groups and you will find us for sure. Answer the questions, please, so that you get let in and just know that there is so much support 
for you. There is definitely a way out of this. You are not going to be stuck here forever and you deserve all the good that is coming your way. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.